0: Greetings in the Master's name to you, and we bless him for the opportunity that he gives us to meet today. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, help us, Lord, to be be broken in a contrite spirit, and dear Father, that as we are together, we can... um, appreciate, we can bring praise and continued, continued praise to you. I thank you, Father, so much for the privilege of being here with these people today, but I am only a vessel, but I thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be here, and I pray, God, your blessing upon this time, and Lord, I pray that the word that goes forth, that there will be lodging in someone's heart, that it might bring forth fruit. Lord, we bless you, we love you, and we look to you, Father, that you might meet our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. I count it a great privilege to be with you. It is uh, with anticipation that I came. Yeah, it is true, I was here so many years ago, but it's... uh, Just a wonderful experience to be here in the, we would say, the Northland. My, Judy, my wife Judy and I, we feel so far from home today. It seems like Abbeville is so far away. But we enjoy very much to be with you. We're enjoying our weekend away from home, where we plan to travel tomorrow. And um, Going back, if I... Remember correctly that our weather by Tuesday, I think I saw maybe 70 degrees, 70 degrees. That's a little bit warm for us, but uh, that's how it is. I don't intend to talk about weather today. It is a privilege to speak from the Word of God. And the seed for today's message comes from an Old Testament passage, and you just listen to this and see if you can figure out where it is. All right? He shall see... Of the travail of his soul. He shall be satisfied. Where do you suppose it comes from? He shall see of the travail of his soul. And he's talking about justification, talking about justifying people because he bears the iniquity of many. That comes from Isaiah chapter 53. It is without, it's not necessary for me to say that we are in a Christmas season. You know it. It's all around us. We see the evidence of it. And so therefore today you came perhaps thinking that you would hear something about a Christmas theme. There has to be something about the birth of Christ. It must be something about the shepherds, the star, or something, or we're disappointed well let me give you some pertinent information if that is your thought concerning the Christmas season and maybe it's not pertinent you are a consumer and you want to be normal and average spend $906 so you can figure that out where you are on your gift giving if that's something that you do now, 56% of Americans admit that they're planning to accumulate or accrue debt during the season. 56 Americans admit they're going to do that. And 16% of those people say it's going to take us six months or more to pay it back. My wife and I were at Sam's Club. And I don't know, do you have Sam's Club in the north or not? We were at Sam's Club and purchasing uh, whatever we were... I'm not sure what we're getting. Um, I don't think it was gift-giving. We are also involved in Bible school, Heritage Bible School, and my wife, she is uh, getting things ready to go doing kitchen duty, which we have done for a number of years now. But anyhow, here at this checkout line at Sam's Club, and it's busy, and here comes this lady with her stuff, and I hear her say... I'm finished now with my Christmas shopping. I'm all done. And she was so relieved, and she was saying it loudly enough, so that she was on the next aisle over. Check online. We could hear very plainly. And I could just understand the expression of her heart that I'm so glad I'm done now. I wonder if she is one of these 16% that it's going to take six months or more to pay back what she bought. Last year, in 2016... The consumers of America, they spent $752, but this year it's $906. The Thanksgiving season has come and gone, and the holiday season is here upon us. Decorations in America this year estimated to cost $6 billion many shoppers are feverishly trying to find a perfect gift for everyone on their list the American commercialization of Christmas plays a big part in how much the average American will pay for their holiday expenses trees is another interesting thing about this season 95 million Households in America have a tree. I don't know if you have a tree or not. But if you you have a tree, you're one of those with the 95 million who have a tree. 81% of those 95 million display a fake tree. There are 25 to 30 million trees sold annually in America. If you're looking for something to do as far as a livelihood, grow trees. Because there is a shortage of live, real trees. You will find distractions on every side when it comes to this season. The seed seed for today's message comes from Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53... And I read, you for that, I read you this verse that talked about he shall see of the travail of his soul. And he's going to be satisfied. And Isaiah 53 begins, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The seed for today's message and the title for today's message would then be this The Zenith or the Highest Point, the highest act of God, the zenith of all the acts of God. God Almighty has done many, many things, He has done many wonderful things, He has spoken the creation into existence. The things that we see are not made of things which do appear. And you can talk on and on about the great gifts in the acts of God. But the zenith of the acts of God is a most wonderful act. And commercialization somehow falls over this zenith of the acts of God. You will not hear it on the news. You will not hear this theme of the zenith, of the acts of God, of why Christ came into the world. So, in my daily reading in the last week or so is where this seed kind of came from. It says, now, if, if you turn to Isaiah 53, you will see in verse 11... He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now let's think about a couple of these words. The first word is iniquity. He shall bear their iniquity. Iniquity is a crookedness, its meaning not straight, morally not upright. Iniquity can mean not so much the action of what took place, but the character of the action. Iniquity. So it would be like the sin of my iniquity. There is an action that took place, but iniquity can refer to the character, that which is behind the action. Now, commercialization hinders Great spiritual truths connected with Jesus coming into the world. And as time permits, and and this message develops in your mind, I would then like to ask you, where then, as you have understood today's teaching, where then do you understand the Christmas parade and Santa Claus to fit in to today's season? Is it intended to become what it has become? And I'm referring to the birth of Christ coming into the world and all the commercialization. Is it intended to become what it has become? And today we just take a fresh look at that which you already know. And maybe because it's a new voice, it's an unusual voice. You've never heard this voice speaking to you. But it's the same Bible, the same word, and you can be freshly stirred and freshly challenged as this message comes to us. Now, it says in the 11th verse, by his knowledge. Now, iniquity is one word that's worth looking at. We did briefly. Another word is the word knowledge. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. How often do you and I say, well, I don't know how to do it. I am ignorant. I just don't know how to fix this thing. And I, had, and I made such a call yesterday because I have a wood splitter back home that I put a new hydraulic pump in and it works partly but not good enough to actually split the wood and I realize that there's a seal that is leaking and when the shaft goes back into the cylinder there's a problem and I am not knowledgeable in hydraulics to the point that I know exactly how this thing is supposed to work. So I called a friend back home, and I told him my problem. I said, could you possibly, do you know how to fix this thing? Do you know what to do? That quick, he had some ideas of what it could be. You know, knowledge is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. It is such a relief. When we don't know how to do something, and you can confer with someone else and they know and they say, well, here it is. And knowledge is such a relief in that instance. Today, will you think about the wealth that knowledge is? Just knowledge itself. The wealth that knowledge is. It is a tremendous wealth. And you can talk about just Secular knowledge, you can talk about just that kind of knowledge, the, the ABCs and the 1, two threes and the number knowledge and just the wealth that just knowing that is. But more importantly than that is spiritual knowledge and the wealth that spiritual knowledge is. Now I want you to think about the using of knowledge. When we have knowledge... Not only is it a wealth, it's, it's wonderful. There, there's no price tag that you could put to that, just the knowledge, the wealth of it. But then being able to use knowledge and what knowledge can accomplish. I work as a Finnish carpenter and it is only by the virtue of experience and having done what I do for years, whether it's trimming houses or whether it's um, making furniture or manufacturing cabinet doors. or I mean, I can look at this piece of furniture here. It is not hard for me to understand how to make these mitres and how to round the corners. Why did I say that? I didn't say that to up- uplift myself. I just said that because the using of knowledge and knowing, and you think about this in a spiritual sense, we want to take a look at this in a spiritual sense of how then as people we have a knowledge and an understanding and using that knowledge and the things can be accomplished by that, the doors that can be opened because of knowledge, the horizons that can be conquered. Today we want to talk about a zenith of the acts of God. And I don't mean to make one act of God less than the other, but as I think about what God has done, a zenith, a high point of the acts of God. Will you go to the book of Romans now? I invite you to turn with me to the fourth chapter of Romans and begin to explore more of this zenith of the acts of God. You have found Romans chapter 4, then begin reading in verse 6. This teaching today is in no way to distract from the beauty, the awesome, the reverence of Christ Christ being born as a babe. But somehow this helps to just bring again how wonderful this is. All right, verse 6, Romans 4. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed the righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. What have we just read? We have just read about a describing. Even as David also describeth the blessedness, we describe situations all the time. And when we go back home, rest assured, we will describe concerning our visit to Minnesota. We will describe concerning being here today. We have got stories to tell. And David is describing the blessedness of what? Of the man unto whom God imputeth not. Of uh, the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness. And then also in verse 8, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And today, if we could meet with blind Bartimaeus when Jesus was coming out of Jericho and blind Bartimaeus is sitting there and he hears that Jesus is coming, blind Bartimaeus begins to cry out and say, Oh God, oh son of David, you have mercy on me. And he cried so much, he cried so loud, so long, that finally they said, The Master calls for you. Will you come? And blind Bartimaeus was then able to meet face to face with Jesus. Did Jesus not ask him, what would you want me to do for you? And he says, that my eyes could be opened. And if we could talk to blind Bartimaeus who now could see, and we'd say, Bartimaeus, will you describe for us what took place? It would be a wonderful thing to hear Bartimaeus talk about that. You have other things, other examples of the Bible. You have the lame man, in Acts chapter 3, is it, where who was laid at the gate of the temple for years. who was blind from his mother's, um, I guess, from birth. He's for a long time. And then he was healed. And hearing this man describe his experience. There is a woman who was sick for thirty eight years, and she was made healed. I mean, she was healed. She was made whole because she touched the hem of Jesus' garment. There is a blessedness that goes with all that. There is a blessedness of being able to see, of being able to walk. There is a blessedness of just being made physically whole. We're not talking about that blessedness today. We're talking about the blessedness that comes because God imputes righteousness without works. God is doing something in these verses. What is he doing it says he is imputing righteousness and he's not imputing sin. And that is a blessed experience. Imputing is reckoning, taking into account, putting down to a person's account. It's describing a right standing with God. And so I don't. I just am not able to. It is only the Holy Spirit can make this truth fresh and new and, and again just um, somehow impress it upon us that a person is blessed who has righteousness imputed, put to their account, not by their works, not because they did something, A man is blessed because God is not putting sin on their account. I would venture to say, all of us here today, who are parents, older, we have different checking accounts. There are different ways of handling your checking accounts. Now, if there's Hardly enough money to cover the bills. And you know, things are really running tight. A person could have the attitude of, I would just as soon not know my financial state. You know, I I know things are kind of tight. I know I've got bills coming up, but I would just as soon not open the mail. I would just as soon not know what's in my account. And somehow, we're going to make it through. And somehow, we'll be okay. And somehow, it's just easier to be ignorant. It's kind of like, I just don't want to know how it is. And for sure, don't hold out to me, in front of me, my debt. Don't do that. I don't like that. Somehow, we're going to make it through. I just finished reading a book. And um, the man in the book was an entrepreneur, an inventor. He invented many, many things. But he accumulated great debt. And he borrowed money from people, from church people and and it seemed like his his ship was just almost on the horizon if we can only make it if we can only get through this we're going to really prosper financially well he had lots and lots of struggles financially he was not a good manager and that kind of thing what we're simply talking about is your account you have an account before god i have an account. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord, to whom God imputeth righteousness, a right standing. Blessed is the person whom the Lord imputes, puts to their account a right standing. Have you heard that theme this Christmas season? You haven't heard it, have you? Are you going to hear it? You probably will not hear it. On the news, the media, you won't hear that. But blessed. What is the word blessed? Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes a right standing. Do you today have a right standing with God? Do I have a right standing with God? And the Lord is not imputing to us the issue of sin. You know... Um, I want you to think about some court cases today. The whole purpose in this thing about court cases is coming to the point of bringing it onto a personal level of where where you and I were or are today before God. When God looks at humanity... And you can take the first chapters of Romans. And in Romans it talks about God's description of humanity. And as he describes mankind, you find these several different categories of people. There are these people, when they observe the heavens, they do not give God glory of the heavens, They are not thankful. They become vain in their imaginations. And even that which they could and should see and understand to the heavens, they ignore. They turn away from it. And they become further and further away from God in their works and their acts of darkness, deception, and so on. There is a group of people like that. God describes them in Romans chapter 1. There is, but they live by their conscience. There are people in the world today, they don't have the Scriptures, but they live by a conscience. And they're just living by somehow they know that this is what they should do. And you find that in Romans chapter 2. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by the nature of the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. There is a group of people in the world living by their conscience. And there's another group of people they are living by the law. And it says in Romans Two, behold thou art called a Jew and restest in the law and makest thy boast of God. So do you want to talk about some court cases? The first court case is Leviticus chapter twenty four. You'll find Leviticus chapter twenty four. 10 of Leviticus 24. And the son of an Israelitish woman, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the children of Israel. And the son of the Israelitish woman and a man of Israel strove together in the camp. And the Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed, and they brought him unto Moses. And his mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Dibri of the tribe of Dan. They put him in ward that the mind of the Lord might be showed them. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, So what did we just read here? We read of a son whose father was an Egyptian. The mother was an Israelite. It was that son who went out and strove with another Israelite man. And the son of the Israelitish mother blasphemed God. And so they take this son and they put him into ward or they put him into a prison and they shut him up till they could know what the mind of the Lord is. Have you ever been locked up in a prison? I have been in prison many times, but I have never been locked up because of a crime that I've committed Where they have placed me in a cell, they lock the door and they walk away. I want that you would think about this man. He's had this fight and he blasphemed. He is locked up and he is there and he's waiting for a word of the Lord as to what is going to become of him. Are there ever times when you cannot sleep? What are the things that cause you that you cannot sleep? It seems to me that if I would have been this man, and I was locked up for what I did, was it an overnight stay, or was it a couple days stay? But it seems to me sleep would be very slow in me coming. because I know that the word of the Lord that they're waiting for is concerning my life and it's concerning what I have done. And maybe at that point, that man is saying, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. I wish I would never have had this fight and blasphemed." I am sorry. But the word of the Lord came, saying, what was the word of the Lord? Verse 14, Bring forth him that hath cursed without the camp, and let all that heard him lay their hands upon his head, and let all the congregation stone him. And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Whosoever curseth His God shall bear his sin. In verse 23, Moses spake to the children of Israel that they should bring forth him that had cursed out of the camp and stone him with stones. And the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses. That man received that which was his just due. I think I could picture this man being led out of the camp. And I would hope that as he is led out, he is saying, I am sorry. I hope that he is not stubborn in his heart and he is still cursing God, but that he has come to a measure of repentance. But that man died. And maybe there were others as they watched what was happening, they said, that is too severe. That is too harsh. We cannot agree with what God's Word is. But what else was the answer? Sin needed to be dealt with. Sin had to be dealt with in a righteous manner. The zenith of the acts of God is how God can show mercy and judgment at the same time to to an individual and not violate His character. That is the zenith of the acts of God. You know, you can take another court example, which is the example of Jesus and Barabbas. One was guilty and one was innocent. But the custom was that there would be one who is released. And that day, Barabbas, who was released, he received mercy and not justice. custom, or tradition never sets a person free. For we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. y'all remember the Vegas shooting? It was the morning, the Monday morning after that event. I was at work, and that, of course, was a, a topic of discussion, and I made comment to the effect of that man, something about it, that, that man, if he, he, could, um, he could come back, he could redo, he could relive or something, he wouldn't do what he did. And I kind of forget the details of of how all the discussion was. But one of the other subs, the other um, workers there, made this comment. And he said, yeah, but doesn't God forgive? God does forgive. But there are conditions upon which God I will tell you of another trial that took place back in March 10th of 1986. There was a country store that was from where we lived. It's within 10, 15 minute drive from where we are now, where we live. And that morning in 1986, The store owner, he goes to his store like he has done day after day after year. He goes there, he readies his store, he gets ready for the day. Before the morning is very old. I think maybe it's even before 8 o'clock. There were three individuals that showed up. I'm not sure, I don't think all three were in the store, but one was. And there was a scuffle between the store owner and a man named Jerry. And because of that scuffle and a firearm that this Mr. Jerry was able to secure from the store owner, the store owner died. There was great public outcry of this murder that took place. The community just could hardly handle it because the store owner was a well-known, well-respected man. He was a man who was involved in community-type things. There was a death penalty trial in the Abbeville County Courthouse. While that court was in session, I tried to get into that courtroom, but it was so full with people, I could, I couldn't get in. All I could do is stand on the outside, looking in, and saw only glimpses of the proceedings. That man, I'm sure, he had a counselor, he had a representative according to the law, to to be his advocate and plead for him. Don't know who it was, and I don't know what the plea was that he would have made. But I just know it was a death penalty trial. Now every counselor in a courtroom ought to be working and trying to remove all charges from a person that is innocent If a person is innocent, the counselor is honest and upright, he will make sure that all the charges are removed. Can you imagine the upheaval in that courtroom if that criminal would have been released and said, Mr. Jerry... I see that you are sorry and you hate what you did. And because you are sorry, we will release you and you go from here a free man. There would have been such a public outcry concerning that decision. Nobody hardly would want to put up with it. And they'll take matters in their own hands. Have you come to the point where you have come to the point where you have recognized that you are guilty before God? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not a person here who has not failed in some way of living according to the divine plan and intent of God for our life. We have all sinned. The purpose of the law is, according to Romans chapter 3, Now we know that what things over the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. You knew those words, didn't you? One of the zenith of the acts of God is this. A person that is guilty before God. Condemned before God. And then God can set forth. God sets forth here because of this. There is deliverance. It is because of Jesus Christ and God sets forth a propitiation. It is because of what God sets forth. There can be an appeasement. We can become just. You know, the human court has nothing to set forth to do as verse 26 of chapter 3 in Romans says, and verse 26 says this, to declare, I say, at this time his righteousness that he might be just, and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. A human court has nothing to set forth to do that. And verse 5 of chapter 4 says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly his faith is counted for righteousness. God is very perfect; He's very right. In that He has, the, in He, in doing what He does, He is just. There's a perfect agreement with His character and His acts. Perpetuation, the cleansing and the life-giving sacrifice of atonement and reconciliation. God has so dealt with sin; He can show mercy to the believing sinner in the removal of his guilt and remission of his sins. And we become acquitted before God. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes a right standing. How can God impute a right standing? It's only because of Jesus. And He bore our iniquities. It's not because we work for it. So how can he do this? How can he impute a right standing with him? It's because we believe in Jesus. As you understand this, the human court has nothing to set forth For a person to be acquitted. To be set free from sin. To have the guilt issue dealt with the human court. Has nothing to set forth. But God does. Here it is. Here it is. Jesus. I'm so thankful that Jesus came. And when I think about this zenith of the acts of God. We don't need to write out all our sins and list them for others to see. You know that you're a sinner, have been a sinner. You know. Maybe it's been many years ago now since you first trusted in Jesus as a personal Savior and Lord. But as I think about this, again, this zenith of the acts of God, how blessed a person is who has a right relationship placed in their account. It's worth more than any Christmas gift. And right now I'm thinking about a gift that my parents gave when I was a a child yet, and uh, I had given plenty hints, I guess, that a basketball would be the right gift for Christmas time. And so Christmas morning or Christmas Eve or, Christmas Eve or whenever it was, I think it was Christmas Day, we uh, opened some gifts and I got a basketball. But it wasn't the basketball I wanted. This was a rubber basketball and I wanted a leather basketball. I was disappointed. A person is never disappointed when they realize their guilt guilt their condemnation before God. They are never, ever disappointed when they turn to God and say, Oh God, cleanse me. I'm a sinner. I need divine help. You are never, ever disappointed. I have said so little on the word blessed. Blessed is the person What? Blessed is the person who has to their account a right standing with God. Do you have that today? Or are you in a courtroom in a battle right now? God, I'm not right. Turn to the Lord. God Almighty has set forth in Jesus Christ all that we need for a blessedness. A blessedness that no man can take away. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for our time here this morning. I thank you, Father, for this zenith of your acts of how that in a righteous way, You do not in any way violate your character by showing mercy and justice at the same time. We thank you, God, that in your wisdom you've provided for us. I thank you, Father, for this blessedness. And I pray, Father, that all of us here in this auditorium, those who are able to understand these spiritual truths, that we can again be challenged and blessed by this whole subject of blessedness. And, oh, God, I thank you for your provision. Lord, as we go through this season, there's many things that we are thankful for. We're thankful for family. We're thankful, Father, for church family. We're thankful for salvation, redemption. Lord, help us not to get caught up in the commercialization. But, Lord, again, just be freshly reminded of why Christ needed to come. He came because of our sin. And he bore our iniquities. Lord, we bless you. We praise you for it. Help us to go forth serving you and being used as vessels in your hand. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of being here with this congregation. Lord, I don't know their needs. I don't know all the things that they're dealing with. But Lord, I pray that your word would just be an inspiration to them, a, guide, a guiding light and helping them finding direction in their way through life. We bless you for it in Jesus' name.